Well, it sounds like we have a good um, good number of folks on the call from within the region as well as outside, and, and these calls are open, are open to, to any, any uh, interested parties. So um, appreciate the, the additional interest we've gotten in the call and um, on the topic um, of discussion today. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Shelby Hudson to talk about some announcements um, um, before we go into our uh, guest presentation. All right, great. Thanks, Jeff. Um, my name is Shelby Hudson, and I co-chair the Rocky Mountain Hub with Jeff. Um, I work in mitigation for FEMA Region 8. I'm going to go through a couple quick um, news items here, and then I will turn it over to Shane. Um, as we probably all are aware, Hazard 2.1 has been released, um, and 2.1 is compatible with both the 32- and the 64-bit machine, and runs in Arc 10, so um, Service Pack 2. Um, the average annualized loss function has been reactivated with some changes in 2.1, and um, is available for order from the FEMA Map Service Center product catalog. Um, also, I want to kind of remind people that there are some really great hazard trainings available at EMI and also in the field around the country. That includes basic hazards, hazards for flood, hazards for earthquake, hazards for hurricane, if you're doing work for folks on the coast, um, hazards for floodplain managers, which is a new course, Hazards for disaster operations, hazards for risk assessment, and the CDMS course, so the Comprehensive Database Management System course. And you can get information on um, those courses online, both at FEMA.gov um, hazards and also at youthhazards.com. Um, in addition to the wealth of information you can get at FEMA.gov, I also wanted to give a plug to uh, youthhazards.com, which is the website that Jamie Kaplan man, uh, maintains, um, which is where our hazards user group websites are, and you can find hazards-related announcements and trainings and success stories. So it's another great resource to be aware of. Um, and then, as always, moving forward with our group, I just wanted to say, let us know if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about or if you'd like to present on a project or study that you're working on. Um, Jamie, are there any other announcements that you want to talk about? Um, I don't I don't have any huge announcements. Um, I guess just as long as everybody's aware that 2.1 is shipping, there was a problem with the data for the state of Washington on some of the CDs, and that's been remedied, uh, so you can easily get it now. And if you're not aware of the Hazus at a Glance calendar, I encourage you to take a look at it. There's a link on the homepage of Youth Hazus under the announcements, and um, it's kind of one-stop shopping, so at a glance you get to see all the training and conferences and hub meetings that are going on, so that's a good place to look. Um, and we're working towards putting together a conference for houses, the national conference, and we're hoping that that will be on the East Coast in August. I'll keep you posted, as I know. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, Shelby. This yeah. is Vanessa. Um, just one more thing to add. The, e the 313 Basic Houses course from EMI is also now being offered. Um, virtually through the Esri Virtual Campus courses. Awesome. That's that's a great announcement. Thanks, Vanessa. You're welcome. Um, now, oh, did I'll anybody have a... I'm sorry? Oh, Shelby, I was just going to ask her uh, mention that the uh, Hazards for Earthquake was held in Denver in January, and that was... Uh, Good to have that that training held locally. Are there any um, other upcoming trainings in the re region that um, are going to be held locally? 
Um, as far as I know, that we're having a flood course in, um, in North Dakota this summer. Um, otherwise, I'm unaware. You know, chime in if, if anyone knows of anything, any other training. I know Colorado's talked to FEMA about potentially hosting a flood course sometime in the next year. Um, I've been a little distracted with the fire for a couple of weeks, so we have not quite uh, solidified any dates or things like that, but that is on the radar, hopefully, and we'll see uh, if other folks are having it, maybe in Wyoming or something like that. We can always pair up, but it's on the radar for Colorado to do flood. Cool. Thanks, Victoria. Um, well, uh, speak up now if you guys have had a problem downloading the presentation um, from the Rocky Mountain Hug website there on the right-hand side. There's a link, download the presentation here. And so speak up if, if you're not able to get to it. Um, and I'll go ahead and introduce our speaker, Dr. Shane Parsons is speaking from the URS Corporation, part of the RAMP team. Um, so RAMP provides technical services in production to FEMA regions 2, 3, and 6, all under the Risk Map program. And Shane, thank you so much for being on the call, um, and I'll hand it over to you. Great. Thanks a lot, Shelby. What, what I'll do is as I go through the slides, I'll give everyone heads up as I go from one slide to the next. There's a few slides that are, the graphics take up the whole screen, so I'll try to make sure everyone can keep up as we're going through those. So when, when Shelby first talked with me a couple months ago, and we were thinking about topics, I think one of the, the big ones is, is just to get an update of how HAZUS is, is linking in with risk maps. So what the, the slide set today is going to go through, if you go to your second slide on the agenda, I'm going to give you an overview of, of, of risk map and specifically the flood risk assessment data set. We'll talk about how that fits within the framework uh, for risk map for the new non-regulatory products and then take you through the process that's been established for creating that data set. So go through, look, talk a little bit about the AAL study and the data, also talk about refined, and then at the end really really focus in on you know, the products that come out of RISMAP and, and how HAZIS um, analysis is part of that. So on the third slide, that's um, titled Flood Risk Assessment Data, Purpose, and Intended Uses, uh, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here for this group. We always include this in with our, with our slides about flood risk assessment because traditionally a lot of folks, we have flood maps, we have our regulatory products, and so we had some idea of where flooding occurred, but what we didn't know is where the people were and where property was in relation to, those flooding, to that flooding. So that's why we wanted to look at using HAZIS as part of a framework uh, within RISMAP to get a better idea of the dollars, of the amount of damage. And, and that picture is meant to be complete for a, a range of flood frequencies, so not just the base flood events for the 100 year, but other flood frequencies. And also idea of locations where actions could occur. I think traditionally FEMA programs between mapping and planning and then the grant side, at times those, those groups haven't talked together. And, and so as part of risk maps, one of the goals was to have ways that the mapping programs provide data that can help with planning, that can help with with looking at locations where it might be possible to, to do different grants. So some of the ways that this is done, one was the AAL study, we'll detail that in a little bit. Another is as part of new risk map studies, taking information we get from the regulatory analysis, such as new depth grids and doing new hazards analysis with that. And then when a locality has more detailed information, let's say they use CDMS or they have user-defined facilities for individual buildings, being able to also integrate that in as part of an analysis. So it was, a, it was a big, you know, it was a big thing to take in. How can we include all this information and condense it in a way and use it in a way that's useful within a risk map study? So going to the next slide uh, that gives an overview of the inputs, outputs, and delivery for the flood risk assessment data set. 
the three main inputs when you go to make this data set. Um, the primary one is going to be the AAL study data, but also these draft depth grids that you have from new studies. So if you're doing a study on a Huck 8 watershed, and let's say you're doing 20 new miles of study, then one of the products that will come out of that are new depth grids for those reaches, and depending on your scope, you may have that for uh, a range of return periods. So those would be an input then into HAZIS in order to do some new runs. Also, any enhanced data or existing runs you might have, those would all be inputs. What comes out then of this effort is a series of both spatial and tabular data that goes into eventually into the flood risk database, but it's related specifically to what we call a data set, in this case, the flood risk assessment data set. I'll show you the specific table names later on, but those tables relate to AAL, they relate to refined. They also relate to what we're calling composite, which is a combination of kind of our best available data. I think we'll show you a graphic on that later on. So we, we get our inputs, we do hazards, we combine information together. And then this information is delivered um, initially at resilience meetings, also at a flood risk review meeting, and then incorporated in these non-regulatory products, the flood risk database, the flood risk report, and the flood risk map. So it's a key part. It's not the only part of those non-regulatory products, but it's a key part, especially in, in locations where if you're not doing a lot of new regulatory analysis and mapping, you may end up having only this data set as being the only thing comprehensive for your whole watershed. So on our next slide, again, just to sort of reiterate, the flood risk assessment data set the, the three primary ones are the AAL study, the refined, the composite. So we'll take a deeper dive into each of these. So going into your next slide, uh, summary of the AAL study. I know many of you have, have probably heard me speak on some of this at other conferences, but just to, um, for a, a quick a kind of a, a nickel summary of this, this was a nationwide study that was done for the continental U.S. back in 2009 and 2010. It was a level one hazard right out of the box analysis, especially uh, for the Rocky Mountain Hug, where we didn't run into coastal issues, it primarily used what was within hazards. So things like um, 10 square mile drainage, USGN, DEM data we brought in, again, a national level. In coastal areas, the study did include actually getting coastal still water elevations in order to support doing that. So, and that's about the only kind of custom data that was brought in. In most other cases, it's a level one analysis right out of the box. And so these were done um, in MR4, and MR4 was the previous, the last time that has a supported annualized. In fact, by doing the AAL study, a lot of the things that had to be addressed and are now addressed in version 2.1, we found out by doing the AAL study in, in MR4. So we went through and we did multiple return periods. We also came up with an annualized result. And then our outputs that we brought out, we looked at different return periods. We also looked at the exposure numbers. And you can see on the, on the graphic that's shown, that map here is showing the, the relative average annualized loss by state. And you can see in, in, in many ways this being an election year, um, it skews very heavily towards, in most cases, states with higher populations which you would expect. You'd expect Florida to be high, California as, as well, Texas. But then you'll also notice on this that a state like Louisiana that may not have a high population, but in a, in a relative sense has a higher amount of their population at risk from flooding also shows up high. If you go to the next slide, which is number, is number seven, you can actually see a comparison of, of two types of output. On the left is the figure that was on the previous page, and on the right is the idea of a loss ratio. So the loss ratio is where we took the, we actually compared the losses of buildings or content and then compared that to the overall exposure. And you can see that the trends are different. Louisiana uh, still comes up high, but you'll notice that, and Florida as well, but you'll notice that West Virginia now kind of sticks out. And living, living about half an hour from the West Virginia line where I live in Virginia, I mean, I can definitely say that, you know, a lot of communities in the mountains, you probably see that out your way as well. If the only place to develop is on the flat area next to the river, then in a relative sense, you may expect a higher relative risk in some of those areas. Uh, Colorado, where a lot of you are from, is, is lower on that list, so 
uh, uh, might be credit to good floodplain management or just uh, just the fact that uh, uh, the models as well. But um, so it's it's two different views of of the data. One of the things that we found when we did the initial AAL study is that the formula that was in MR4 for getting annualized losses had some issues. Uh, the formula included some extrapolated losses for like the two and the five year events and also uh, some of the formulas that were used and, and, and came up with a number that, that frankly was, was, was highly questioned. So as part of a follow-up usability study to the AAL, we went through and, and came up with a refined number of this national annualized loss. So you can see on the top of this page that for at least the continental U.S., the number that they came up with is was around $55 billion. Um, and that was within the neighborhood. And some years, if, if, it, one of the top things that kind of ground-truthing these sort of numbers from hazards on a national level is let's say you have a, a large hurricane event that has wind and flood damages with it, other declared national disasters, maybe a combination of different hazard types. So it's hard in a given year to say, okay, this national number is only from flood or only from those hazards and you sometimes have mixes. But the $55 billion seemed in line um, when you looked at averages over the last 10 or 20 years. Um, another kind of lower bound number that was also done was to look at NFIP, average annualized loss, uh, and that came back um, kind of in the $10 billion range. One thing to remember with the NFIP is, you know, we don't have complete coverage of, of every, you know, every person who's in the floodplain is in that. We also have some people who have coverage that are outside of their floodplain areas and mapped areas that may have losses from local drainage and other things. So, again, just to give a general range of, of the national numbers, $55 billion, you can sort of think as the average 10 might be on the low end. But then we also have these relative values from state to state. For context of risk map, where the AAL would be used, is that we have access to, we actually have the data at the census block level. So this data can be used within a risk map project as part of the overall way that we try to portray risk uh, within an area. So AAL gives us one data set, and for, again, for studies that are done um, in most of the U.S., it's going to give at least a complete coverage and give a baseline. And if you, if you sat through some of the other discussions of pros and cons of a level one method, and those of you who have done it, you, you know the limitations of we made drainage assumptions, sometimes regression equations may or may not be great in certain areas, you know. But again, for an initial baseline, it gives us a place to start. Where we want to do improvements, if you go to the next slide, slide number eight, is where we really then want to start looking at refined. And so what the refined losses give us is a way that we can take new studies and improve this. The analogy I always like to give on this is when you look at a firm, when you look at a map, a flood map for an area, you're going to have some areas on that map that come from detailed studies that have floodways, a lot of detailed information. You'll have other areas on the map that come from unnumbered zone A studies, some simplified studies, historical studies, those sort of things. What the firm is, is representing is a snapshot of the best available data at a given time, knowing that some areas might have been developed from less rigorous modeling and less detailed background data than other areas. So having refined data and including that in an risk map study is very similar to this idea of a firm where the unnumbered zone A and sort of the simplified modeling is very similar to what we have from AAL. But when we have the opportunity within a study to get more detailed depth grids, we obviously want to want to supersede what was done from the AAL with this more detailed information. So refined hazards analysis in the big picture of risk map primarily is going to be using new depth grids and hazards in order to get losses. It's also going to be then used for individual return periods and annualized and then brought into the flood risk database. What do we want to save then in terms of the, of the detail level? What do we want to have? Um, for those, again, many of you who have done hazardous runs and flood, you know there's a variety of reports. There's a variety of outputs that, can, that hazards can produce. What was really felt that on, from a planning level, what we wanted to see from hazards is to have the dollar losses in the total but also have them broken up into, into a certain number of categories and maybe not quite as detailed as the full suite of what hazards can give us. So dollar losses going into the flood risk database can be divided into residential, commercial, 
and then sort of a catch-all of, of the other occupancy types. We also want to look primarily at the building stock in terms of the structure and the content. But we also acknowledge that you know, when you look at the total losses and hazards, while predominantly it is building and content, for occupancy types like businesses and, and government facilities, you may also have some additional things like displacement time, loss of business, um, wage loss, those sort of things. So we didn't want to lose those. So what we did, again, for the convenience of, of combining all the information, is we kind of grouped that into what we're calling a business disruption. So this is kind of the other. So when you look at total loss and you remove the structure and the content losses, what's that remaining part? What's the remaining part of the losses that Hazus gives you? So again, it's a simplification of what Hazus gives us, but it's also rich enough that we can look at trends. So you could look at in a given census block in the business district, oh, hey, look, there's a lot of commercial losses and get a better idea of, again, that relative risk without necessarily having to bring the entire database and every calculation that Hazus did um, over into what you did. So uh, we're on slide 9 now. So starting with slide 10, uh, we're going to go through a series of just graphics that sort of shows you within risk map how you would do this. So the sample watershed that we have here uh, is in Ohio. So the first page just sort of shows, and this is sort of your typical Huck 8 watershed, that's sort of your, your, your sample size within RISMAP. So if you click your mouse once, it'll show you a zoom in of this watershed. And you can notice, just like many Huck 8s, that it, it goes in, I don't think there's one individual county that's actually entirely within this watershed. So you can see how this watershed, um, I think it's like 13 different counties uh, that this, this watershed is included in. And then you can see the, the floodplains as well. So when we go to build, the flood risk assessment tables for this watershed, what are the steps that we would do? So if you go to your next slide, here's a, a screenshot from Hazus for one of the counties. This is for Stark County, Ohio. As part of the AAL, we will have information, if you go to your next slide, of the Hazus generated uh, streams, uh, and these were done with uh, 10 square mile drainage. So you can see the uh, reaches that are included with that. Then Hazus would go through, and I think we're showing the 500-year. So your next slide is going to show the 500-year flood depth grid that Hazus generated. And then if you go to the next slide, it will then show you the census block level loss results associated with that simulation. So when we did AAL, our basic unit of analysis was a county. And then the data was was generated for each of the return periods. For annualized, initially the model has this came up with annualized numbers because of the concerns that arose because of the calculation method. New annualized numbers, the numbers that went into that 55 billion, were done external to hazard. So annualized numbers, and I'll talk about it later in the presentation, you can't go directly into MR4 and get the exact same numbers we have because that was an external calc. The nice thing is that Hazus 2.1 is using the improved uh, annualized calculation version. So our slide, uh, you, you on the slide right now that shows Stark County and shows the census block losses. If you go to the next slide, you can see Stark County highlighted, and then if you go to the slide after that, you can see the watershed outlined on there, and then the slide, the, the preceding slide after that, shows kind of um, a yellow background for the whole county. And then you can see in the red tones the, and this is I think the 500 year that we're showing, the AAL results for this particular return period for all those counties. So this would be kind of a graphic depiction then of the AAL data that's available. It was initially calculated at a county level, extracted at a county level, but then stored and, and can be provided in such a way that it'll cover the entire watershed. So that's AAL in the context of the flood risk assessment. If you go to the next slide, so again, there's another one of just showing the watershed um, and with the values that are in it. The slide after that, then we go back to our county again. And now let's say that on the next slide, you can see some red highlighted streams. So this would be representative of a new study that's being performed for a certain set of reaches, and in fact, all these reaches are within that Stark County. So to do hazards then for this, if you go to your next slide, you can see the depth grids, 
that would come from your regulatory modeling. You might have used TechRAS. You might have used a 2D model for that. You have those depth grids. You go to the slide after that. So you'll now have within, within your mapping, you'll see that within the county. The next slide brings us back into hazards. And in this case, uh, the hazards run will be a level two using a user-defined depth grid, in this case, the depth grid for those stream reaches. So you'd bring in your user-defined depth grid. On the next slide, you can see the census blocks that now have refined values for loss. I think on this one, we're showing, I think it's still the 500 year. So for those census blocks, we now have new loss values, refined loss values for them. So to build our data set, we would define within our flood risk assessment data set, we would define in our database information about the refined. So the next slide, you can see the loss data. It can be exported. And then on the, on the next slide, those would be highlighted, or you can go through a process. And then on the following slide, those are then combined with, and in fact overwrite, what was done with the AAL. So on the next slide after that, you can see the zoom out for the whole watershed again. You can see that most of the data is AAL, but for those highlighted census blocks, we now have refined data in there. So this represents this composite picture. It's, it's a best available picture. In some cases, and, and I've had this discussion with a lot of folks, it may be an apples and oranges comparison. You could have very detailed analysis in one community, in another it would be level one. But the purpose of the composite is really meant to give you a portrait of the best available data that we have. One of the nice things with the way that the flood risk database is structured is if you want to see only the AAL without the refined, those tables are available. But you also have this composite table where we combine the two as well. So you have both things available in the database. On the next slide, you can see, so again, just to summarize, so average annualized loss covers most of the watershed. The refined has this on the next slide is just for the highlighted reaches. You combine the two on the following slide into composite. So you should be now, if you go to the next slide, you should be on slide 32, and uh, it's titled Enhanced Flood Risk Assessment Analyses. So in, a, in most risk map studies, the improvements or the refinements that you're going to do are going to be based on having new regulatory studies, new depth grids. But there also can be cases where you have other enhanced data that you may want to use. One of the big ones is user-defined facilities. So instead of using the census block level one analysis for getting uh, results, you may actually go in and use user-defined facilities and get loss numbers for individual structures. You also may have other sources for depth grid information. So you may have uh, local models, or you may have other things that are being done outside of risk map that you could bring in. You also historically may have from an earlier version of HAZAS some, some other runs that have been done or the use of things like CDMS to, to update the background uh, GBS data. So all of those could be possible ways that you could refine what was in AAL. So the, I think the, the key takeaway is that, we, you know, we all know who we work with HAZARDS. We know that Level 1 has its limitations. It has, you know, it's, it's based on a certain set of assumptions. When you can within risk map and when you do these study areas, if you have a way to improve the data, by all means, go ahead and do that. And the way that the data set and the database is structured, it can allow you to combine those things together. All right, so we go to our next slide. So how, does this, how is this all delivered? Primarily, we're going to be populating the flood risk database. And then the flood risk database is then used to make a flood risk map and a flood risk report. And we'll, we'll do a little deeper dive into, into each of those. For the flood risk map on the next slide, one of the things that that we have, if, if you've gone up to some of the either draft standards or the um, some of the operating guidance that's available at the FEMA website, is we have templates for developing this. One of the big things for the flood risk data is that you notice in this graphic, we're not portraying this information as dollar values. 
we're showing this as relative risk from a very low up to a very high. And one of the things we mentioned in the guidance is while we give some general guidelines, your choice within a given study of how many categories, what colors you use, how you want to portray this really depends on the message that you want to bring across in those public meetings and, and what, what story you want to tell. In, in many cases, this data set may be the only data set that covers all communities in your watershed. Uh, you know, in many cases, the regulatory side may only be improving, you know, a certain set of streams or within a certain community. So if you've got those communities or counties where this data set is the only way that you can help portray risk, and especially from a where you may want to look at different mitigation actions, you may choose a certain color ramp or you may choose how you portray this in a way that you can, you can help guide that message of, okay, here are the areas that are purple and red. You may want to look at mitigation projects in those areas, but then also at the same time talk about within those meetings, you know, we know from doing level one, even though it's shown in a relative high value, if, if it's a case where all the houses are actually up on a bluff, maybe in, in actuality it's not that high, or the other case, if all the houses are right next to the river, the values may even be higher than this. So that's another, uh, to, to me, when, when you show this picture, part of showing the picture and describing it is being honest about what hazards can and can't do, but using that to guide the conversation of this is why we need better data, this is why we need to use this as an initial screening, screening. go out there, out there. Okay, our next slide, 35, uh, shows uh, the flood, flood report. report. I'm getting a little feedback from someone. I'm not sure if someone took off mute or not. In the flood risk report, there are sections for your entire watershed. There's also sections for individual communities. When we take our hazardous data and we put it in the flood risk database format, one of the tables actually provides the data that populates this table in the flood risk report for every community. So if, if a typical Huck 8 watershed, let's say, let's say, has 30 communities, you would see within the flood risk report then a summary of the flood risk assessment data for each of those communities. This example here just gives you a general picture of how that might look. You'll notice that you'll have rows that, sub, that total up the building and contents losses for residential, commercial, and other. Totals all of them. That business disruption of the other losses are also included, and then you have grand totals at the bottom uh, from that. And you can see the numbers go up as return periods get more severe. The annualized numbers obviously are lower because it, it takes the return periods into account. But all of these can then be used to help portray that picture of where you have risk, you know, value, you know, the relative risk values within communities. So that's the report. So again, when is this delivered on our next slide? This is 36. Primarily the first time that communities are going to see this is at the optional flood risk review meeting. I'll say that five times fast. Um, so this is the meeting where, prior to getting into the issues with regulatory data, we really try to introduce what the non-regulatory products are about, get a community familiar with the, the map, the report, the database, also the data sets that are included, as a setup for the resilience meeting where you would actually then have an opportunity to say, where do I want to look at mitigation? What are some actions that are possible? These, this data would also then be finalized for, for delivery at the, uh, the CCO meeting, the open house, where the focus is more so on the regulatory products at the end. So delivery, you'll have draft delivery, you'll have discussion and resilience while final delivery at the uh, CCO. So how do you make these things? Uh, I talked to Shelby a little bit about the way we want to focus on it. So I've got two slides here for those of you especially that are either going to be making this or are going to be uh, reviewing or looking at other people's data. Other people's data. Right now, FEMA headquarters is, is doing final reviews of two appendices to the study contractor guidelines. Appendix N, as in Nancy, is the description of methods, and details about all the different data sets. So there's probably about a 20-page section in there on the flood risk assessment data set going through many of the things that these slides did. Appendix O is the database requirements then to support what we want. So this slide shows you an example of one of the tables that's laid out uh, in Appendix O. 
So this one, the LRAAAL, this is the table where the AAL data lives. And you can see, again, the, the, the database table is set up to accept the loss values that we were showing just a couple slides ago for the flood risk report. So having total contents loss, buildings loss, then it also split up into residential, commercial, and, and other. So each one of the different tables, if you go to your next slide, these six tables, well, actually five tables and uh, one feature class, are the primary places within the flood risk database that the flood risk assessment data set lives. <laughs> so the AAL table has AAL data, refined has refined. Composite is the composite of the two. The S census block feature class, this gives you the, the spatial geometry of the census blocks from hazards and also includes the exposure data, so total building values, total content values, those sort of things. The L exposure table is the community-based summaries of exposure data. So we want to know what the value of total uh, the buildings or the contents are for each of the communities within our watershed. That would be an L exposure. And then the, the RA summary is the loss equivalent of that, where we do the community-based summary. So when, when we make our flood risk map or we make our flood risk report, we're not doing new analysis or having to pull new values. Those values have already been generated as part of the overall effort to make the flood risk database and populating the tables that are shown here. One other note for those that are doing this right now, with Appendix N and O still doing final polish, there still have been some changes over the last few months of some of the requirements of that. If you haven't gotten a recent copy of especially Appendix O, I would recommend that you do that. One thing that was recently removed from a draft of Appendix O is we did have some fields related to numbers of buildings from HAZIS, and that there was a decision made at headquarters that because of the way that HAZIS estimates those, there was concerns that it was going to overestimate if we put it in the report of saying, let's say, 50 houses are actually hit and it's really 20. We felt more confident with the relative values of the dollars, but not necessarily those house numbers. So if you have an older copy of Appendix O that has fields related to building counts, in most cases those things have now been removed. So I would, I would recommend for those who can get to the uh, risk map SharePoint to get a, a most recent copy of Appendix O. Other, so the, the, these publications, these guidelines and specifications, some of the operating guidance documents related to hazards, and especially that some of the products are available. N and O are still going under headquarters review. Uh, I would love to say and give you a date for it, but I, they've been undergoing review for several months. Uh, my hope would be they'd be available by ASFPM, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see when they get there. The only other update I've got before we get to questions is there's been, there's been discussion among those of us who worked on the AAL that the AAL study, when it was finished, back in, in 2010 and then the follow-up of uh, usability in 2011, that the data was not exported in a way to support these tables that are in Appendix O. The timing of it didn't work out right. We were just defining and starting to, to say what tables and what fields there were at the end of AAL. So starting actually right now and in the next few weeks, one of the FEMA PTS contractors, STAR, who um, is heavily involved and then Atkins as part of STAR, is going through a process Actually, if you look back again on slide 38, um, they're going to tr they're going to extract from the AAL study HPR files the data needed for the LRAAAL table. So the expectation is that probably by mid-May, this effort should be done. They've got all of the AAL uh, studies linked together in a big massive uh, database. So the expectation is by mid-May, if you're doing a new study you should be able to go to your PTS contractor contacts. So, for instance, I'm the contact for RAMP. Um, for Baker, the contact point is Dan Deegan. For STAR, the contact point is Tom Schweitzer. And they would be able to provide for study contractors doing a risk map study the LRAAAL table data from the original AAL study for, for any of those communities. So, right now, the data is still kind of buried in the hazards HPR files. But after this effort that's going on, starting right now, will be done, that data should be already extracted and available. So that'll be a big help. Um, uh, if, if any of you have had the misfortune of trying to do that manually, as I have, it's, it's not 
it's after you hit about the tenth or eleventh county, you have to do this again and again. It gets kind of old. So they're gonna they're gonna do that in an automated fashion and have that available. So that's another kind of a new and upcoming thing that'll be out there. So with that, I think I'm gonna open the floor to to questions. Uh, thanks for your patience as we go through this. Uh, we're also gonna have some updates on this as well at ASFPM. Both Tom Schweitzer and myself are gonna have uh, some follow up talks as well. So if you're going to ASFPM. Uh, this year down in Texas, we can also give you some updates on the future. Great. Thanks for the presentation, Shane. Is, is there any questions for Shane? Yeah, Shane, I have a question. This is Shelby. Um, back to the county that you were showing as an example of the composite uh, loss estimate in Ohio, um, you talked about the new study reach and you showed the 500-year losses for those particular reaches. Um, my question is, when you created the composite, do you um, recalculate the AAL using those 500-year losses, or is it just strictly a 500-year loss, um, you know, group of census blocks as part of the composite? So when when you when you do your original revised analysis, you're going to have in that table four or five return periods and annualized loss values for each of the census blocks that you've done a refined analysis for. Right. When you make composite, all that you're doing is making a choice for this particular census block. Am I using AAL or am I using refined? And then all the return periods and the annualized loss number that either comes from AAL or refined then goes to populate the composite. So there'd be, okay. there, it isn't a recalculation. It's just a matter of the choice for a given census block Am I using all the information I have from AAL, or am I using all the information I have from Refined? Okay, got it. Hi, this is Vanessa. I was just wondering if there's currently, I know you said that Appendix O is still under review, but is there um, further information, maybe in the Refined table or in the composite, um, some type of field where there's more information given about um, what type of enhancements have been done, or is it strictly this is coming from AAL and this is coming from refined? Like, is there some way to backtrack where that information came from? Yeah, if 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 you if you get for Appendix O, they have a a big kind of poster of the data model, okay. and so one of the things that the overall database model has in it is information about sources. So when you look at the composite, it has a field that says, okay, is this data come from AAL or for, from refined? But in defining what refined is, there are some database fields in there where you can describe, you know, kind of the metadata idea behind what was done for each one. But the thing I always remember with Appendix O is it's a minimum set of standards. So if, if you do something, you know, if you've got, you know, level two individual houses in one spot and something somewhere else, there's no reason that you can't add additional fields within the database or even have supplemental either white papers or descriptions that goes along with the minimum requirements in order for someone to actually understand what was done. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Hey, uh, Andy, this is, uh, is Doug Bausch of Region 8. I, I had one question. So when, when you guys were doing the 2011 usability study and kind of assessing um, the results um, when they initially came out kind of high, the um, you know the contribution of the area weighting onto that, or you know the assumption that we make that the building stock is evenly distributed in each of the census blocks. Uh, I mean, you, you guys looked at that. West Virginia is kind of a, a, a flag too. I could see what you're saying in the Platte Valley areas, but I also see a lot of blocks that are you know up against stream center lines that you know get impacted at the at uh, at lower return intervals, and um, you know, and I, I think that's part of the reason the, why the two and five year were so high too. But did did you do any like assessment comparing that to um, you know site specific data? Yeah, we had we had, one of the parts of the usability was where we had existing level two studies that had user defined facilities, especially to try to do comparisons. The the problem with doing it is that most of those studies were done, you know, MR3 or earlier 
and they didn't do annualized. So we, we'd have a study, let's say, in Tulsa, and they did 100 a year with user-defined facilities. So we could compare that return interval. But there really weren't a lot of level two studies that had done annualized to see, you know, how how that then spreads through to an annualized calculation since MR4 was the first time that you really had annualized in there. So when we did the comparison, like, okay, the 100 year with buildings without, it was a it was kind of a mixed bag. In in I know North Carolina in one of their counties, they had with individual buildings a lot lower. In Tulsa, we'd have one census block where it would be lower and one it would be higher. So it was it was hard to sort of generalize any trends just because everything was sort of spotty. My guess would be I know with the with the dissymmetric stuff that you've been working with, Doug, you know, that would be one approach to get maybe halfway there is to is, you know, to have a way of you know, if, if you were able to do something on a little bit broader basis of deriving the sort of diathymetric, you know, distribution of from just, you know, aerial photography of where houses are, are and then just get a sense of, okay, so for, for blocks near rivers or near water bodies, you generally see houses closer or further away. But for the usability, we, we just didn't have enough data to come up with anything sort of comprehensive. Thanks, Another thing we did in usability, we, we have other slides on this, but just to folks now, is we also looked at that drainage assumption of 10 square miles. And one of the things that we realized is in MR4, 10 square miles was kind of a practical calculation limit. When we started to, to do even trial runs of five square miles and one square mile, we very quickly hit the memory limitations that standard has us, and we also just ran into problems with, um, with some of the drainage delineation as well. So uh, another another question that comes up is, is that number high or low? And, you know, in comparing it to even mapped floodplains, we saw some cases where you didn't have a lot of, of mapped floodplains, um, you know, above 10 square mile. And then in some urban areas with very small drainages, they would have detailed flood mapping for maybe even one square mile or two square mile areas. So that's another that's another part of this that, you know, was kind of a runtime funding practical decision of, of having to deal with the 10 square mile. But we know that in certain states and certain areas, you know, the AAL probably did underestimate just because it didn't go far enough into the, into the headwaters. Shane, this is Jeff Rislan. I have a, a question on, you mentioned that the L tables were being um, formatted by actions. Um, were those, I'm thinking of, for those communities um, that aren't in a risk map uh, project but are doing a hazard mitigation plan, um, are, are the tables being formatted only for communities that are undergoing risk map or are they doing this for every county uh, around the country? Yeah, they're doing it for every county in the continental U.S. that was part of the study. But the, the, one of the unknowns, though, is distribution, because right now that is really the format that it's being done in is just to support RISMAP projects. I think if a community said, hey, we're doing a study and we'd like to get access to the data, I, I, you know, I, I don't see any reason why, you know, Eric Berman or the, you know, the other hazards folks at headquarters would have an issue. But the thing is, we just don't have a mechanism for delivery right now, so you almost would have to go through RISMAP to almost request that data. Um, and there are, you know, there are mechanisms. Uh, RISMAP does have technical assistance, uh, parts of the standard operating uh, contracts. But that, it's, it's one of the big things to just get a handle on all of this is that, you know, big picture right now, all of the non-regulatory products really aren't linked up well with the MAP Service Center and that whole way of either, you know, when you finish non-regulatory products, where do you send it? And then if eventually you want to access it later, how's it going to be done? All of those questions are still are still kind of up in the air. Was there another question? Oh yeah, sorry, this is Jenna McGee with Amex. Um, I had a question about when you're building the composite um, with the AAL. Um, in reading the appendix N, it um, defines obviously the 2010 AAL is based on the MR4. Um, census block boundaries, and they want you to use those census block boundaries throughout the rest of the database. Um, but if you want a new hazard, you're obviously going to have different census blocks in hazard 2.1. So how do you rectify the changes in geometry? 
I've, I've talked a little bit with Jahar on the uh, Hazard development team on that. And right now, 2.1 still is using the 2000 census version of the boundaries. And there might be some minor fixes for topology issues. But, I mean, the impression that he had, because we even asked them about the exposure data. Did we have to go back to MR4 to get all the exposure data out? And we were told that, you know, 99.9% .9 of all census blocks from the exposure data for the census blocks in, in 2.1 is identical to what was in MR4. The, where the challenge is going to come in is a few years down the road when Hazard does jump to the 2010 census. And, and so when, when, when it gets to that point, we'll have to make those decisions. Where What I would tell you is that if you do run into a situation where there is a difference that so you do a refined run, I would, I would as part, again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the minimum standards that are in Appendix O, you can always supplement that. So if you have new boundaries for your refined, you could have a second copy of your F-Census block that reflects what the refined has. The big thing in the end is that when you go to make your flood risk report, you're doing a set of area-weighted averages for your communities. So you can decide, you know, when you go to do that area-weighted average, whether you use the original census block or if you have slightly modified, in the end, when you do your GIS operation, you would just need to take that into account. Great. Um, well, I appreciate your uh, presentation, Shane. I think it was very informative and uh, very uh, relevant topic. Um, and it's good to hear what the latest is with the uh, risk map and how it has it fits into that. Um, I guess at this point we're about on an hour on our call, so we'll wrap it up. Um, I think we, uh, Shelby and I would welcome um, suggestions for uh, topics of future calls. Um, so if you have any ideas, um, please send, send us an email on that. Um, Shelby, did you have any parting comments or words for the group? Uh, no, I don't have anything else. Just just to uh, thank Shane so much for his time. It was a great presentation. No, no problem. Um, also know for those of you uh, that are involved with RISMAP, uh, we also have a, a, a presentation on just the AAL that's becoming part of what they're calling the RISMAP University. So if you have other folks, it's, it's, it's some of the content's the same as today, but others are different. So if, if you have folks that often wanted to hear a recorded presentation, I know Jamie's going to have a podcast of this presentation but also know that that AAL-specific presentation is also available to listen to, I think, in maybe a week or two as part of that uh, RISMAP University. All right. Any uh, final um, questions or comments from the group? All right. Well, this concludes our call. Stay tuned um, for uh, future uh, topic, and uh, we'll announce a, a topic probably in, for another call in another uh, month or two. So appreciate everybody's participation today.